Good morning again. What I'd like to do is to uh, first to read the scriptures for today's message and then uh, give a personal introduction and then come to the message. So let's uh, begin with God's word together. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, I'm reading from the Old Testament in the book of Esther and chapter 4. Uh, Esther chapter 4, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. And after that, I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Esther comes just before the, the book of Job and Psalms, so somewhere just, just before the middle of your Bible. The book of Esther is a story that takes place in Old Testament history uh, during the exile of God's people. They had sinned. They had been driven out of their country. And Esther is a, a character who uh, God sovereignly works through her life and through her uncle Mordecai. And she's been elevated to the, the status of queen in the country of their oppression. And uh, just before this, there's been a plot conceived to destroy her people, the Jews. And we come in in chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of God. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and to plead with him for her people. And aside is that Esther hadn't disclosed her nationality up to this point. In verse 9, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. 
When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. Please uh, keep your, your place there at Esther 4 because we're going to come back to it. But if you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 in the New Testament, and after the Gospels and Acts and a couple of the letters comes Ephesians, letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to read from chapter 3, verses 14 to the end. So the book of Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, that is the, the word of God I wanted to share with you today. I'll preach from it in a moment. But first, uh, by way of introduction, I, I started introducing myself with the kids earlier. My name is David. I do come from Canada. I grew up there, came to the Lord in my childhood. I moved here in the late 90s. I studied at, at Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh. And lo and behold, met a beautiful woman from Sky, who consented to marry me and lived in Canada with me for, for 15 years while we, we ministered in, in my hometown of Comox, British Columbia. And I did some youth ministry and was a pastor there in total of, of 15 years. And when we felt the Lord say, thank you, you've, you've finished your work here now, I have something new for you. And he called us to come to Scotland. And it was, a, it was a quick move we felt he was asking us to, to take. And he, he opened all the doors, including uh, giving us a home in Calder Crooks, of all places, uh, which the church has generously made available to us. And we have come, I'm studying at Edinburgh Theological Seminary, uh, filling in some, some gaps and learning some more there. And um, we're here just to serve. We, we sensed a burden for the church in Scotland and an invitation to join the ranks uh, with, with you, with the church in this country, contending for uh, God's kingdom here. I love uh, your, your, your vision statement that I saw on the screen, reaching out with the light of Christ's love. And it's so encouraging to see a church in Airdrie that that is your focus and that is your goal. And we've just been serving where, where God opens doors in Scotland and in England recently with, uh, you would know, Wade Thompson. He was leading a team there together with uh, Jim Leach and Lady named Margaret from this church. And it was great to be part of a, a, a revitalization project that they're involved in. And as we're here, though, I'm halfway through this degree now, and we're 
uh, asking God what next. We think it's probably long-term in Scotland, but we don't, we don't know. And we're asking this question, God, why are we here? I mean, Canada was nice. I mean, Scotland's great, don't get me wrong, but uh, I can't help but miss my family and friends and, and country of my origin. But we know God's put Scotland in our hearts, and we love this country. But we want to know, what do you want us to do? What is the part you want to give us to play in what you're doing here in Scotland, Lord? And that's our question, and today I want to turn that question on you. I want to ask you to ask yourselves the question, why am I here? Why are we here? Why do you live in Airdrie? Why do you live on that street and go to that job? Why do you know the people you know? Why you and not somebody else is here living in Scotland at the beginning of the 21st century? Does God have a gospel purpose for putting you here now? Well, you might say, well, I'm just me. If you only knew how unworthy I am, how unqualified I am, of course you are. Of course I am. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? That God chooses and rescues flawed, broken, sinful people and builds his kingdom through them. And so all the glory goes to him. And we can only boast in Christ. So let me ask you again, does God have a glorious gospel purpose for putting you here right now. Absolutely he does. And the big idea today is every day, one of our greatest temptations for me and for you is that we would, we would settle for a comfortable life. That we'll follow Jesus, that we'll live for Jesus right up to the point where it would cost us and then we'll stop. We'll say, this is enough. And we lose our sense of destiny in the process. Some of you might know what that's like. And God's saying today, I've got something bigger for you. You are here for such a time as this. Will you believe it? And by God's grace, whatever it costs, will you say yes? How much does this matter? Can you think for a moment about Scotland? Scotland has a rich history of mission, of reformation, of revival. But today, out of just over 5 million people, do you know how many evangelical Christians, that is people who we could be sure they know Jesus, they're going to heaven, do you know how many there are in Scotland? In 2015, a major survey was done in your country, and they found... Out of 5 million people, 153,000 people who were clearly evangelical Christians, that's just 3% of this nation. That means if the gospel is true, if heaven and hell are real, if people need Jesus, they need to be made right with God, that means that there's almost 5 million people in this country, almost 97% who are lost, who are on their way to hell, who need the gospel. Scotland is a ripe mission field. And there's no one better positioned to reach it than you. And God's looking for people in Scotland today. doesn't matter your age, experience, but people who will simply be unashamed to call people to follow Jesus, who will make disciples, who will be agents of revival in their nation. And how should you hear this message? Well, 
Many of you, this is where you live. This is your passion. This is your heartbeat. You're the models and mentors we want to learn from. Please keep doing what you're doing. Others, this is a deep challenge for you. In God's word, as we look at it, it's going to stir you to allow Christ to, to make us into something that we couldn't be on our own. Will you hear that challenge? And for others, I don't know, there may be those here, whether visiting or whether church going, but not Christians, not saved, that you, you, you maybe haven't put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin. Maybe you're holding on to some sin, or maybe you're holding on to your religiousness instead of holding on to Jesus. And today, I would plead with you that you would let whatever that is that holds you back go and grab on to Christ alone as your Savior. He longs to rescue you and to bring you into his purpose. And then you can be part of what we're going to be looking at today, which is what does it look like for you to live as people who, who know you're here for such a time as this? We're going to go to this story from the Old Testament. It's a people who had been victimized, who had been ruled by oppressive nation after nation. And it's a story of an unlikely heroine and her adoptive father, who with three sentences breathes into her such courage that she chooses to walk through a door knowing it could mean her death. And she does it for the slim hope of saving her people. And history was changed because she walked through that door. She believed that greater than the most powerful man on the planet was her God. And she foreshadowed the ultimate price that one of her, her nation's people would pay one day to save many more, Christ through his death for us. And she models for you and me what it means to know that you're here for such a time as this. And before we, we look closely at this chapter, we want to think of the larger picture of Esther and her story. And it addresses a very important question for you today. And this is the question. You may feel broken. And the question is, can God use broken people? So often I feel my brokenness, and I need to know what God says about this. Can God use broken people? Esther lived in a period of Israel's history after they'd been rescued from Egypt, they'd conquered the land of Canaan, and then their glory days ended when they disobeyed God and they got exiled. And just a remnant of the nation had gone back to Judah, but the land was still a shambles. And they were ruled by the world's superpower, Persia, whose power extended from modern Ethiopia to Pakistan. And this king of Persia one day wanted to have a feast. And at this feast, he wanted to show off his, his wife, different woman, to his friends. She refused. He divorces her. And then he sets up a search across the, the, the land for a new bride. He was going to find a virgin to marry. And there's this young Jewish woman living in the capital of Persia. And she'd been orphaned as a child. She'd been raised by her uncle Mordecai. And despite the oppression of, of generations of her people the loss of her parents. Do you know what? This woman shone as a beautiful woman. And maybe she was in her early 20s, maybe younger. And I wonder, like, what did she dream of? What did she hope for? Was, it, was there a young Jewish man she, she hoped to marry one day? Did she hope to return to the land of her ancestors? It was not to be. What a painful day that must have been when King Xerxes' henchmen came for her and added her to his vast harem. How did she go? Did she go silently, 
trusting the promises of God? Did she go kicking and screaming, saying, God, where are you? I'm sure there's someone here who's been asking God, where are you? Maybe it's an assault you experienced years ago that few, if anyone, knows about. Maybe it's abandonment by a parent, other circumstances. Do you know that the book of Esther, Scripture, but Esther in particular, gives us permission to ask questions like this. God, where are you? Why can I say that? Here's why. Out of 66 books in the Bible, there's one book that makes no mention of God. It's the book of Esther. There's this sense of the silence of God. Have you ever felt the silence of God? Where you're confused, where you're saying, what's going on? In Esther, this silent, unmentioned God turns up to be the biggest player in the story. It's a story of providence at work, where all these coincidences display God in His power and sovereignty, ruling over the affairs of the earth, working even evil for good. God is present, working for His people's joy and for His glory. And maybe what you need to know today is even when God's been silent this week or this month or this year, believer, He's still present. He's still working. And you will see it. And you may feel broken, but He can heal you and He can use you for such a time as this. We're going to enter this story where this powerful man, Haman, in the king's court has gotten permission to destroy all the Jews. This is Satan's strategy to block the Savior of the world from coming through the Jews. And what is happening to Mordecai when he hears this? Well, you see in verse 1 that he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. He's, he's going into the city wailing and loudly and bitterly. Goes right up to the king, king's gate. This is traditional ancient Near East mourning. This is what you would have done if you were him in that time. You'd mourn like this. A bit like, you know that guy who recently in Scotland, he went on a hunger strike in front of the Scottish Parliament for the homeless. A public display of protest and grief. But the king is insulated to this. And Esther is too. And yet she hears of it. And, and she hears the news from Mordecai. He explains what's happened. She didn't even know about this threat to her people. But he urges her now to act. And this is in, in, in verse 9. He, he asks this, his instructs her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with them for her people. What is she going to do about this? She is so far an anonymous Jew, the king's bride. Everything will hinge on an earthly level on what she does. History hinges on this moment. Now, she's like us in many ways. Do you know how... Often, our first look at the information, we got everything correct, and yet we got everything wrong. Have you ever done that? This is what she does. Look at verse 11, where she says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now, see what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, hey, Mordecai, I've checked with my people. This report about the Jews is going to be destroyed. You got your facts wrong. It's, it's a rumor. Uh, it's one of those mistakes. Never mind. No, she doesn't say that. She says, okay, it's true. 
and I'd like to do something. But her first response is out of fear. It's out of her head. It's out of her flesh. She says, I, I see the problem, but there's realities beyond control that make it hard. Remember, we're victims. Remember, we don't get to choose. There's a law. It says this. I can't. And she's been married probably five years now. Looks like the warmth has kind of cooled off a little bit between them. She hasn't been invited to see him for, for a month. If I go through that door, more, I, I'll probably die. Does she see clearly? Is she absolutely right? Yeah. Yeah, except for one thing. She's looking through the eyes of her flesh. When, when, when have you looked this week through the eyes of your flesh? And you've seen an opportunity to step out in faith. And you say, no, I can't. End of conversation. Is God asking you to serve a difficult neighbor? To deepen a relationship with a child or with a parent? To share the gospel honestly with a family member? But you're terrified. Maybe to be honest in your workplace about some things that are wrong. Maybe to correct a Christian sister who's sinning or to fight for your marriage or maybe to step out in a big way and maybe in business or the arts in something that you know matters to the kingdom. Maybe he's calling you to a hidden ministry of intercession to tackle some spiritual giants in your land. And how are you responding? Are you responding like Esther does here, out of the flesh, with what is true, but it's your flesh? Or are you responding out of the Spirit? Have you ever said this, that's a great idea, but I'm not that kind of person. It's not my gift. That would be too hard. I don't have time. It might damage that relationship. Have you said to God, great idea, but I'm sorry, I can't do that. And sometimes you say that, and then you just move on, and, and days go by, weeks go by, months, even years, and it's gone. And some opportunities, the window's there, and it closes. You can't revisit that. All you can do is say, God, I'm sorry, I missed it. But don't you believe, too, in a God of second chances? Don't you believe in a God who could reawaken that calling on your life today? That you could say, God, as long as I'm here breathing, I want to be available to live for such a time as this. Give me the courage. Use me. Would you say that to him? Sometimes you just need someone that God would help us to see with the eyes of faith, like he does through Mordecai, to Esther. Look at what Mordecai says. He challenges her. These are the only words of Mordecai recorded in the Bible and in the book of Esther. These are very important. Look at verse 13, please, with me. <clears throat> Esther chapter 4. He says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. What's he saying? You think that what the king can do is the end of the matter, but it's not. You think that what people are able to do is the end of it, but it's not. You think you don't have a role to play. You are wrong. God seems silent. God seems distant. But he's orchestrating events, he's saying to her. Can't you see the hand of God? There's been no call. There's been no angels arriving and announcing a call from God. No supernatural experience. But he's saying, Esther, just look at your circumstances. 
there's a call on your life. There's a call on your life, and it's plain to see. There's not a question whether you have a purpose here. The question is whether you will answer the call. And for some of you, you say, well, I haven't had a supernatural call to do some brave and bold thing, or I haven't, I don't know what, 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 is, what does it mean? But in your own life, isn't there a door God's nudged you because of, you can see it in your circumstances to walk through something you need to step out and do. It's not a question of what. It's a question of what will you do. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I know sometimes in my Christian life, I'm holding on to what I think is life when Jesus is calling me to step out in an adventure that will terrify me and frighten me and, and maybe strip away everything I, I want to hold on to. And yet that's where real life is. What's he saying to you? What are those relationships in your life? Why are you living on that street, in that job, in this town, in this country now? You're just a regular Christian, but God is saying, you're the Christians living in Scotland in 26, 2017. What is that door he calls you to go through for such a time as this? So Esther's first words were from the viewpoint of flesh, but Mordecai says, here with faith. And this produces an awakening in her. And you see the result in her next words. They're completely different. Verse 16. She says to gather together the Jews to fast. And she's going to fast. And she's going to go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Because she remembers. Higher than the king. Higher than the leader of the world's superpower. Is her God. The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Airdrie Baptist Church. He's greater. Notice she says to fast. I think in, in Esther, where they don't mention God or much theological language, this is code for fast and pray. You know what I see here? Sometimes the reason I don't have the courage or you don't have the courage to do what we need to do is we haven't gone to God with the tenacity, with the earnestness that Somehow God has ordained, enables us to lay hold of his sufficiency for us. Fasting can help you do that. Maybe it's just an extended time of prayer or soaking yourself in his word. Whatever it looks like for you and me to exchange our fear for his courage. And she says, when this is done, I will go to the king because it's the right thing to do. If I perish, I perish. The results will be in God's hands. And what does she do? As you read on through the book, Esther goes through that door. And history was changed. The Jews were preserved. And through them, God's son, Jesus, the Savior of the world, came. And Christ himself, on the last night of his, his ministry, after breaking bread and giving the cup to his followers, saying, this is my body broken for you, he arose from that upper room and he, like Esther, he walked through a door into the darkness of night. He forfeited comfort and he submitted to the purpose and the call of God. He knew he'd come for such a time as this and he didn't face the possibility of perishing. He faced the certainty of perishing. And yet even his death fulfilled the purpose of God. All of history was leading to that moment and would proceed forever changed 
from that moment. He died and paid for sin. He defeated Satan. He offered life. He rose from the dead. It's finished and it worked. He's reigning and he's coming back. And I love him. Don't you love him for what he did? And when, when we want to talk about stepping out in our generation in 2017, this isn't about us finding the courage in ourselves. This isn't about you making a vow to God to be a better Christian. This is about Jesus, that he's bringing the results of his victory on the cross to bear through ordinary, broken Christians like you and me, who he sovereignly places here and now for such a time as this. He dwells in us by his spirit. And he's, he's giving us the courage which is not our own, that comes from being adopted, being his children, to step out and do what he gives us as individuals, as families, as churches. You know, in Scotland, there's such a legacy of people in this country, Knox, the Covenanters, Thomas Chalmers, uh, the early Baptists, I think of James and Robert Haldane, who lived and worked in this neighborhood. There's such a legacy of people who saw the call of God to do the hard thing. And it was impossible, and it was crazy, and it was costly and risky. And they said, this looks good. Let's do it. Not because they're somehow Christian superheroes unlike us, just because they knew who Jesus is, our Jesus, your Jesus. They recognized Jesus is everything. He's enough. He, he could use even us. And they were here for such a time as this. And I, I believe there's a gospel church here today because of the courage of those who went before us. And they're gone. And now it's your turn. And now it's our turn. And we get to respond to God today. And I have one question for you. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? What would it look like for you as an individual, as a family, as a church, not to be hindered by what's true, what you see on a natural level, but to lift your eyes higher? What would it be like for you and me not to be limited by our sense of inadequacy, but to trust the one we read about who can do? How much can he do? A little bit more than we can ask or imagine? Quite a bit more than we could ask or imagine? No. Infinitely more that we could ask or imagine. Isn't, isn't that the kind of God Scotland needs today? Would you trust Jesus to give you the grace and the courage to lay it all on the line, to say, Lord, when you call me to walk through a door, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter what people think, by your grace, I want to say yes. I want to say yes. So you can do, God, what only you can do. I believe this year is an incredible opportunity for people like you and me, who know we're loved by God, accepted by His grace, to be empowered by Christ, to step out in courage, because you are here for such a time as this. Will you trust God, trust, trusting Christ alone? Will you give your yes to Him as we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we, we are so amazed and so grateful at your plan of salvation. And we're so very glad that Jesus is our Savior. We love you for coming and going through that door 
not only risking, but giving all to save us. And we thank you that we have been saved to become part of something bigger than ourselves. And Lord, sometimes it looks very mundane. Sometimes it looks big, but that, that's irrelevant. The, the important thing we want to do today, Lord, is, is hear the way you're calling each of us to step outside of what we can see with our flesh and to hear what the Spirit says to our hearts, to hear the call of God in the Bible, to live for your kingdom. And I pray that you would make that call clear and that you would allow each of us to know a courage that's not our own, a faith that we can never come up with on our own, to say, Jesus, we would love to join you in this adventure, living for you, for the sake of your glory and salvation in this country, to say yes to you. We believe that you put us here for such a time as this. So use us. In Jesus' name, amen.